Welcome to Mariner's Church Weekend Message Podcast, inspiring people to follow Jesus and fearlessly change the world. Discover your purpose and get connected by visiting marinerschurch.org or click the link in the show notes. Hello, Mariners Online. I am so honored to be with you today and continue in our series on the Holy Spirit. Did you know that the fastest growing sport in the United States right now is pickleball? And if you haven't seen it played, it's kind of like a combo of tennis and ping pong. Like if those two activities had a baby, you'd have pickleball. And when I first heard of pickleball, I thought it sounded dumb. I mean, pickleball? Are you kidding me? It doesn't even sound like a sport. It sounds more like a children's book. The term baseball makes sense because it has bases, right? Basketball has baskets. Even football works because you occasionally kick the ball with your foot. But there's no pickles in pickleball. Why not call it unprocessed cucumber ball? So it's poorly named, strike one. Mostly old people play it, so it can't be that fun. Strike two. It's got a weird scoring system where you call out three numbers. No thanks. Strike three. But I have a buddy who's a great athlete, and he said, Doug, you got to try it. And so I reluctantly went with him, and I was a former high school varsity tennis player, and I'm thinking as I'm hitting the ball, this is too easy. No wonder senior citizens love it, right? And right about then, these old ladies shuffle to our court and say, you boys up for a game? That's cute. Like when I say where they were in their 70s, that's being generous. More like 80s, and by 80s, I mean early 90s. But uh, they're standing there challenging two superior athletes. And, I, and I'm thinking, you know, I kind of miss my grandma. Why not? Let's play. And the next thing I know, we are getting spanked, all right? Not just beaten, but totally demolished, humiliated. I mean, one time I'm near the net and my buddy drills a shot from the baseline and Barbara Bush slaps it back at me, boom, like right in the neck. And then she said, sorry, but I could hear her giggle. So I'm thinking, oh, so that's how we're playing. Game on, Betty White. Now I'm ticked. And I quickly changed my fun-loving nature and I channeled my inner John McEnroe and I hit the ball as hard as I could right at Queen Elizabeth and and she calmly dinks it out of my reach. Point them. Another time I think, you know, I'm just going to hit a high lob over their heads and they're either going to break their ankle or their hips trying to run back and get it. And they're both at the net. So I hit this lob and immediately when I hit it, they both yell, out. They didn't even turn around and look, and it was out. So long story short, the Golden Girls beat us all three games. And the only redeeming factor of this entire experience is that they don't attend Mariner, so they can't confirm or deny any language I may or may not have used. Like, they were in from out of town to play in a tournament. <laughs> and at the very end of our match, the, the cockier of the, the Williams sisters felt compelled to give me some post-game advice. And she said, Doug, you're relying too much on your old tennis strokes. This isn't tennis. It's pickleball, and it's a different game altogether. And I wanted to say, duh, but that was too childish. So I said, I know you are, but what am I? So (laughs) why tell you this story? Because one, I'm looking for a pickleball instructor Mariners to help me with my revenge. And two, because there are very clear similarities to that experience and and the scriptures that we're going to be looking at today. For for those of us who have said, I believe, and we have placed our faith in what Jesus did on the cross, we have been saved to play this new game of life. And we're filled with God's spirit to help us play it right. And this new game, it, it has 
It has new rules. It has new strategies. It has new, new values, new ways of engaging and loving others. And, and if you're watching this, and let's say you wouldn't identify with being called a Christian, and you're watching for whatever reason, you're curious or uh, you're investigating the faith or you're with some friends, you're just checking things out. I'm so glad you're viewing this because even though I'm speaking primarily to those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, I think that by watching this, you're gonna better understand the difference Jesus is to make in one's life, okay? For example, when someone like you or me becomes a Christian, the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. See, we receive and begin this new life. It's a, it's a new spiritual identity. And this, this new life actually comes with the bonus. And the bonus is the residency of God's spirit. Meaning this, that God's spirit indwells in the life of a believer to help us live out this new nature. Now, <laughs> Why do, we need, why do we need this help? Because this new nature is often at odds with how we used to think and how we used to live. And, and most of us, what we want to do is we want to hang on to certain old behaviors, even though we know the outcome of those behaviors won't be good. So like with pickleball, when this new way of playing wasn't working for me, and like when I felt pressure, I resorted to an old game that I used to be good at. And I tried to win by, by returning to my old, my old tennis habits. And we do the same thing with our expression of faith. Like this new Jesus action of, of forgiveness. Man, it's, it's rough. I mean, it's so much easier to return to the old way and, and seek out revenge or, or hold a grudge. The, the new Jesus way of serving others, you know, dang, it, it messes with my comfort. My, my life before Jesus didn't require that type of sacrifice. And then this following Jesus and, uh, and being a person of integrity, it, I mean, it can get expensive. And I, I'd rather return to the old way and, and cheat the government like, like I did before I was a Christian. I mean, it's just better for business. And you know, I could keep going on with examples, right? Like if you and I were to, if you and I were just to sit knee to knee and eye to eye, and we're gonna exchange our faith stories, there's a good chance that each of us would have several examples of us returning to and living out of our old nature, right? I mean, sure, we, we most likely admit that when this new life in Jesus and the, the indwelling spirit nudges us to sacrifice or, or be generous or to serve others or to actually love those who act unlike us or, or have different political opinions. I mean, if we're being honest, it's, it's more natural and comfortable to live how we used to live before Jesus. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing you can identify with, with what I'm saying, which is, which is this is all a good setup for where I'm going with this message because today we're concluding our six-week series on the Spirit of God where we've been learning that uh, God's Spirit not only invades us, but also uh, comforts us and convicts us and transforms us and guides us and teaches us. And do not miss next week as Eric returns from his study break for, for part two of this series on the Holy Spirit. But the question I want to end this, ser this series with today is this question. What happens to God's Spirit, God's Spirit within us, 
when we give in to our old nature. Now, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4 or open up the Mariner's app or the scriptures will be on the screen. But in Ephesians 4, we're going to find the answer to that question because the Apostle Paul writes to the church of Ephesus. He's, he's writing to a, a group of people that he loves deeply and he wants them to understand the connection between God's Spirit living within them and how they choose to live out their, their new life. So if Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17. It says, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Like, gosh, these, these Gentiles sound terrible. Then he says this, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Now, why does Paul pick on the Gentiles when he says, stop living as the Gentiles do? Because most of the church of Ephesus was filled with Gentiles. It would be like me saying, you know, Mariner's Church, do not live like those in Newport Beach, the, the immoral, you know, beach trash, or don't live like those in Tustin or Irvine. I mean, ah, they, they litter their streets with so many political signs. Okay? Paul is not referring to the Gentile Christians in this text. He's specifically talking about pagan Gentiles, and he doesn't want the Christians to imitate the godless culture of Ephesus because there was crazy things happening in Ephesus from, from human sacrifices to corrupt temple activities to, to all kinds of sin and debauchery, kind of like Balboa Peninsula on the 4th of July, right? <laughs> the, the church Paul was writing to, they actually understood his concern because they had just been living that lifestyle. And, and it's even possible that some Christians were actually missing their, their old days, their before Jesus days. And then after Paul's list of all the Gentile corruptions, you know, he, he drops the, what I call the butt bomb in verse 20. He says, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. I mean, this is one of those big butts in the Bible that's gonna be included in, in the book that I'm gonna write someday called, I like big butts in the Bible and I cannot lie. Okay, he says, but <laughs> that's not the Jesus way. Because of Jesus, all that old has passed away and the new has come. Now, friends, this scripture is so relevant for you and I today because I, I regularly talk to people in our church who, who are missing out on this amazing new life that Jesus has for them because they keep returning to and relying on that former way of life. And Paul says, throw it off. It's not you anymore. It doesn't describe you. It doesn't define you. And it's not your destiny. You're a new creation. You're, you're now a newborn child of God infused with the spirit of God. It's a new day, my friends. And then he gets super practical in verses 23 and 24. He says, instead, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Now, if you have your Bible with you, just underline righteous and holy. Our new nature is to be righteous 
and holy. Now, how's that for a job description? Because it, it sounds kind of intimidating. I mean, maybe even unrealistic, right? Like, hey, Doug, what's up? Nothing much. Just trying to be righteous and holy. How are you doing? <laughs> Here's some good news. You don't have to try to be righteous. You don't have to try. Like if you put your faith in Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross, you've been made righteous, not by anything you've done, but by everything that Jesus did for you on the cross. You are righteous in God's eyes. And here's more good news. You are becoming holy. Keyword, becoming. See, salvation is immediately. Like you were instantly filled with God's spirit and made righteous. But sanctification is not immediate. Sanctification is is really the process of becoming like Jesus, which means which the process of becoming holy, and holiness takes time. And we've been learning in this this series that one of the roles of God's Spirit is to uh, continuously work within you to help you live out that new nature and transform you to resemble Jesus and, and make you holy. So essentially, God's indwelling Spirit is performing an extreme makeover on your life. Now, do you remember those TV shows that highlighted the before and after, like the extreme makeover, like this, this person, like the results were dramatic, right? They, they showed the transformation of one's outer world. And you're like, you're like, whoa, before and after, that's amazing. That God's spirit is working within you to perform an extreme makeover of your inner world, your heart. So for me, When I put my faith in Jesus, I was a teenager, okay? You look at the picture, that's me as a teenager. You're welcome. (laughs) And when I knelt by the side of my waterbed, it was the 70s, everybody had a waterbed. And as much as I understood, I said this, I believe. I believe you are God. And immediately I was saved, boom, okay? Now, immediately I didn't resemble Jesus, right? I mean, not even close, okay? (laughs) Again, Salvation is immediate, sanctification is not. Now, why is this frustrating? This is frustrating because you and I are people, we want instant results. Like if I don't answer your your email ASAP, you're gonna send it again with this obnoxious red flag. Or if you text and I I don't reply right away, you're gonna tap back with a question mark, right? So when it comes to spiritual maturity or holiness, why does it take so long? I mean, what's slowing down my my spiritual growth? I am, okay? I am. I'm slowing it down by, by not throwing off the old, by not stepping out in faith, by not living the new life created for me, by, by retreating toward the comfort of my old nature. I've been, I've been following Jesus for 40 plus years. And, and I don't return to my old before Jesus days as much as I used to, which means I can actually, I can actually see signs of holiness in my life. But temptations are still right, and I'm mean, still right here. Like I still look over my shoulder toward the old, even though I know God's plan for me is to be a new creation. I mean, why do I still ping pong between the old and the new nature? I mean, I don't like that about myself. And if it's happening to me, me. <laughs> I'm a professional Christian who went to seminary. I, my guess is it's probably happened to you too, right? Well, here's the good news. It also happened to Jesus' closest followers. I mean, the disciples, these guys 
They were walking with Jesus 24-7 for three years. Now think about this. They heard every Jesus sermon. They had a front row seat to his miracles. They were besties, best friends with, with God in the flesh. And yet they were involved in so many spiritual knucklehead moments. Like, like on the night where Jesus was arrested, Peter grabs his sword and yells, fight! And then he swings it and cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers he, he, who was trying to arrest Jesus. Like Peter is swinging for the guy's head and only gets the ear. Now think about this. Only minutes earlier, Peter was in the garden praying for Jesus. He was living out of his new nature. But as soon as Peter's world was threatened, he returned to his old nature with intent to kill. Now, I mean, Peter had heard all of Jesus' teaching about this this new kingdom. And when Jesus said, hey, in this new kingdom, if somebody slaps your right cheek, offer them to strike the other one. And now all of a sudden he's got his sword and he's all going Game of Thrones on everyone. And even Paul, who wrote the scripture that we're studying today and and about half of the New Testament, he said in in Romans 7, I don't want to do wrong, but I do it anyway. Now, here's my point. You and I are not alone in this old and new struggle. And the challenge that you feel today is the same challenge that was happening to believers 2,000 years ago. Throw off the old so that the new shines through. Now, then Paul gets really specific of what he means by throwing off the old. It's like he's saying, hey, for dummies like Doug, let me me break it down what I mean by throwing off the old. Let me just rattle through this. So stop telling lies. Uh, Let us tell our neighbors the truth for we're all parts of the same body. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. I mean, it's it's almost as if Paul gets down on his knees as if he's talking to spiritual toddlers. Quit, Quit lying, boys and girls. Stop stealing. Help others. Speak graciously. And and this is not a checklist of do's or don'ts for moral living. Paul is really just giving examples to the church that the spirit within them should impact what comes out of them. The spirit within them should impact what comes out of them. That he's leading his audience to the big point in verse 30. It says, salvation has made you a new creation. So start living like it. Because if you don't, God's spirit within you gets sad, okay? sad. I mean, not mad, but sad. Verse, verse 30, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. And I don't like the next five words. By the way that you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Do not bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit. Now, other translations like the NIV read, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Now, this is the answer to the question I posed earlier that we've probably all forgotten. Okay, let's put it up on the screen again. What happens to God's spirit within us when we give in to the old nature? Well, here's the answer. The Holy Spirit gets sad. 
even grieved by how you live. Again, he's not mad at you. He doesn't pull his love from you. He doesn't press pause on your salvation status. No, no, no. He grieves when you and I don't live out of our new nature. Why? Here it is. Because he loves you so deeply. See, the Spirit of God gets sad because he's crazy about you. He grieves because he wants you to live your life to the fullest. The sorrow is because his love for you is so, so deep and he wants the best for you. Parents understand this type of love, right? Parents grieve when their child makes decisions that don't enhance their life. Why? Because they love their child in such a deep, intense, inexplainable way. And you are God's child. See, at the moment of salvation, you move from being a creation of God to becoming a child of God. And the Spirit grieves because Ephesians 4.30 says this, and it's beautiful. He has identified you as his own. He's identified you as his own, meaning this, you are, you are God's precious child in whom he delights, that he smiles at you. There's, there's almost 8 billion people on this planet and you're his favorite. Okay, your picture is the only one on his refrigerator. So as a child of God, God grieves by the way I live because I was saved from the old for a new and a better life, a new and abundant life. And here's what I want you to remember, okay? I, I know you're gonna forget a bunch of stuff, but here's all I want you to remember, just a few words. He grieves because he loves me. Now just say that wherever you are. He grieves because he loves me. And here's the next part, and wants the best for me. So he grieves because he loves me and he wants the best for me. He wants the best for you. I mean, Jesus made this truth abundantly clear when he said, Jesus said this, I came that you might experience life, a better life than you could even dream of. And when you and I resort to that old nature, we're not living our best life. I mean, Paul even said, we're being fooled by our own deception. Now, you remember the beginning when we started reading that Paul stated, don't imitate the pagan Gentiles? Look at what he says next. Here's, here's who he wants us to imitate. Chapter five, verse one. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his what? Dear children, live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. Friends, you're not just a creation. You are his valued child. So live a life like your heavenly father, filled with love, following the example of Jesus. And so here's the action I'd love for you to consider taking this week based on this, this scripture that we studied. It's straight, it's not even Doug's words, it's straight from the Ephesians passage. And here's the action I want you to go after this week. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Jesus. There it is. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Jesus. Don't imitate the Ephesians. Don't follow the example of your favorite social media influencer. I mean, if you're gonna follow or imitate anyone, follow after Jesus and live a life filled with love. So where do you need to show up with love this week? Where do you need to show up just filled with love? You're already filled with God's spirit, so you're capable of an enormous amount of love. 
See, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. So you have access to a depth of love that can influence and impact and change another life. Where do you need to show up filled with love this week? At work? At home? If you're a teenager, maybe at school, or maybe it's on a Zoom call, or filled up with love when you meet a stranger or when you're with an enemy. And because here's the deal. When you do show up with love, you're following the example of Jesus. So try that this week. Show up with love and every day remind yourself that you are a child of God. You are so deeply loved that the triune God took up residence within you and loves you so much that he actually grieves when you don't live out the the new game of life that God has for you. You know, it's been several months since my first game of pickleball. And and while I'm definitely not a pro, I've learned to play this this game the right way. And and really, it's it's a lot of fun. But at the end of the day, it's just a game. It doesn't change my inner world. It doesn't make me more holy. It it doesn't impact where I'm going to spend eternity. It's just a game. And while I don't know all the details of your world, I bet I know enough about you to know that there's too much at stake with your eternity, too much at stake with your relationships, too much at stake with all the opportunities that you have to actually play games with your life. For those of us in Christ, we are a new creation. The old has passed away. Stop returning to it. It's not life-giving. The new has come. The new life, the better life, the abundant life, the eternal life, the, the Jesus life has begun. Now, let's go live a life filled with love, following the example of Jesus. All right, extend your hands, please, and let me pray a prayer of blessing over you as we go. Jesus, I pray you'd bless your sons and daughters this week, that you would remind them that you are gentle and approachable and that you love them. Cause your face to shine on them. I pray they will experience your mercy and your joy this new week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace. Have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to the Mariner's Weekend Message Podcast. To support the ministry of Mariner's Church, you can click the link in the show notes or download the Mariner's app at your favorite app store. If you've been navigating God's wisdom with us through this year's annual read and would like to hear personal reflections from pastors in your community, check out the Gospel Everyday Podcast. Imagine feeding your heart, mind, and soul with the kind of practical wisdom that will change your life. If you haven't picked up the annual read yet, visit marinerschurch.org or download the Mariners app for more information on where to find it.